Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Rula is the world's finest magazine of cycling and cycling culture. Established in 2006, Rula interviews the world's biggest cycling names and covers the world's biggest cycling races. Visit our website at rula.cc and subscribe to support our in-depth features, long reads, independent journalism, stunning photography and immersive cycling coverage. I'm Edward Pickering, I'm the editor of Rula and this is Rula Conversations. So my name is Rachel Jarry. I'm the staff writer at Rula. I'm joined by Edward Pickering, the Rula editor. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the women's road race at the World Championships. Later in the episode we'll also hear two exclusive interviews from both the first and second place riders in the race, Lotta Kopecky and Demi Vollering. So Ed, we were both there in Glasgow watching the races. It was interesting because we were obviously both there the week before as well for the men's races. And I was a bit unsure what to expect, uh, given that the women's race was a week after the men's. What did you think? I mean, what was your take on the crowds in Glasgow, the general vibe for the women's race? Yeah, the atmosphere was pretty good. I, th- I think the yeah, objectively, there, I think there are fewer people there than for the men's race. I went to Montrose Street for the women's race and... There was space behind the crowds, whereas the men's race did look wall to wall. On the other hand, the atmosphere was excellent. Objectively, I'd say that, well, maybe a bit more subjectively, I'd, I think the, the women's race had a bit more tactical intrigue than the men's race. So overall, it was great. I mean, in terms of the route, the backdrop, the crowds, it was, it was fantastic. It's one of the best worlds I've ever been to, I think. I was kind of the same. I don't think it had quite as many people there as the men's weekend, but I was still impressed of the number of people who had come out to watch and the amount of people lining the roads kind of all throughout Glasgow. It was for a good reason, because it was a really good show, a really good race from the women's peloton. It was interesting because I think we saw the race taken on quite early with plenty of attacks. It was a really aggressive start, but nothing really seemed like it was able to stick. And then when we hit the circuit, I think there was Kim Kadzal from New Zealand who was out front alone and she was brought back. And then there was only about 50 riders I think in the bunch by that point coming into the circuit and inevitably then it seemed it looked like it was very stressful in the bunch at that point and we saw crashes happen we saw people getting mechanicals and stuff and I think all the crashes were kind of one of the main talking points I'd say of this world championships and raised some questions I think about the circuit and about how fit for purpose it maybe was for a world championships. What's your take on that? Do you think that it was safe enough for the riders? Yeah, the valid questions. The safety issue is always a thorny one, isn't it? Because if you ride carefully, anything's safe. But at the same time, you've got to appreciate that it's a professional level race. The margins are tight between 
the riders and there's a lot of pressure and yeah there were a lot of corners the rain held off the women's race but the other races were wet and there were a lot of crashes I think it's impossible to get the perfect race you'll never you'll never get the perfectly designed circuit that's 100% safe because you know there, there were always acts of God I think that the circuit was definitely beautiful it was interesting maybe beautiful is the wrong word it was definitely fascinating on a cultural level but I thought there the the, the crashes weren't what really defines the race. I, I felt the circuit wasn't very fair to riders who had mechanicals or who crashed. Obviously, anyone who had to chase back on. I think Annemiek van Vloosten was one of the few people I saw in the whole of the world to actually successfully get back on and be in the race. But overall, I, th- I thought the circuit was interesting. Not one that I think, not an experiment I th- think they should repeat too often. I felt that... Yeah, you can't overuse a circuit like that. But overall, I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. The interesting thing is you can say, yeah, what you want about the circuit, but across all of the races, really, it was no kind of unexpected winners. It was still seemed to be the strongest riders who were coming out on top. It was the top five sort of you would have probably picked in both the men's and women's races who ended up coming to the top uh, of the race in the end. That is true. Although I, I felt the women's race was actually the one I enjoyed most out of all of them. And just put a caveat in there I didn't really watch the men's juniors and men's under 23 races that closely on tv because I was out on the circuit watching them the men's road race I felt was very predictable in the end I think I said to James last week on the podcast a lot happened but not much happened it was a very complex race but in the end a very simple race the women's race the one I enjoyed the most because Although the strongest riders did emerge, they emerged later. It seemed like they had more of a fight. There was tactical variety and interest that I didn't feel existed in the other races. In you know, in the the largest group that went maybe 70, 80 kilometres to go, and then when Elise Shabby went, there were more questions and more intrigue tactically from my point of view. I think when Shabby went, that was probably the main talking point of the race. And that was what kind of instilled all those strange dynamics in the group behind, where at times we saw Lotta Kopecky herself, despite being the pre-race favourite, she was actually closing moves down really early on in the race, which isn't something you normally see. I guess she missed, maybe she missed having teammates there. I know she won in the end and it kind of didn't matter. But do you think that in future races that's going to play against her in these national races where you race with your national team? It might well do. Yeah, the interesting thing with that group of six or seven behind Shabby was that one of those riders was Marlon Reusser, who was Swiss. So if all those riders had been different nations, then it would have been pretty straightforward. But just having Reusser able to sit on the back while the others kind of take no one really wanted to take the final responsibility for chasing Shabby for closing the gap. So that to me was really, it looked quite finely balanced for a while. In the end, obviously, it turned into strongest rider wins. And that's fine. I think if Van Vleuten hadn't had mechanical, a bike change, well, first a front wheel change and then a bike change and had to chase on those occasions, maybe the Dutch could have made things a little more difficult for Kopecky at the same time as with the men's race and with the most of the other races that we can you can't argue with the strongest rider having won the race that's that's where it panned out but there was some strange dynamics I think between that Dutch team I mean it looked like it would have made sense for whoever they decided their leader was by the time Van Vluten was back in the group 
she didn't just go straight to the front and start working straight away. There was a bit of conversation and I think a few, a few people were a bit confused about what their plan was. It comes back to this whole thing, doesn't it, of like the world championships being on national teams when riders like Annemiek van Vleusten and Demi Vollering are basically bitter rivals for, re- for the rest of the year. Do you think that was evident, that dynamic in, the, in that group? I wouldn't say evident, but we all know it was there. We talked about this in Glasgow at the weekend at our event at the Drygate Brewery that is not as simple as Lotte Kopecky versus the Dutch because the Dutch have quite intense intra-team rivalry going on. And we saw that. It's like, and also, remember, Van Vleuten's the defending champion coming to the end of a long career, an absolutely stellar career. And it's quite hard I imagine for her to settle into the mindset of being a domestique especially when it's being a domestique for Demi Vollering who is her rival let's not forget that Vollering and Kopecky also have their own intra-team rivalry in SD works but I guess with on the surface of it yes Van Bloyten should really have acknowledged she wasn't going to win the race given the circumstances she'd had on a circuit like that the best thing as far as the Dutch team was concerned was for her to you know, make it simple, as simple as possible, put following in a position to maybe hurt Kopecky and see what happened. But at the same time, it was deep into the race by that point and very, very hard for anyone to make any difference by that point. I spoke to Van Vleuten afterwards when she came to the mix zone to do interviews and I asked her this exact question. I said, what were you saying to each other at that point in the race? And she said that Demi Vollering said to her, you need to chase. And she said, OK, I will, because you're the leader. But she also said that she had amazing legs. And I think we can see that because she managed to get back on twice after having two different mechanicals. I think it was quite significant that she's was kind of forced to listen to Vollering and maybe it sort of symbolises this real shift in the Dutch team's dynamics and that Vollering now is their chosen rider and there can be no arguing her strength anymore, can there? No, exactly. She showed how strong she was at the Tour de France fam. And even in the context of this race where it's a one-day one day race, you know, it's not on a mountain, so it's not just pure strength that counts. Van Vleusen, having experienced the race that she did, Having to, you know, when you have to chase onto a group, you're firing your bullets. You don't have many bullets left, especially at the end of a long race like that. And I don't know what's in Van Vleuten's head. I don't know how she was feeling. From the outside, you'd say that the probability is that following was in a, in the best position in the Dutch team. But you never know. Maybe Van Vleuten felt that good that she did feel she still had something to do. But then the circumstance of the race demonstrated that wasn't the case. In this scenario, it's maybe... Maybe the Dutch team are relieved that this is one of the races they have over the course of the year where there's no race radios because it saved the team car having to make that very hard call and say, Anami, you're now a domestique because maybe that would have caused some friction and trouble as well. But in the end, I think circumstance of the race and the realities of who was the stronger rider gave us the result that was inevitably going to happen. I think following proved with the Tour de France fam that you couldn't have taken her to that race and not given her the leadership after the, the performance she put in in France. And But then also with that does come quite a lot of pressure to be leading a team like the Netherlands. And everyone was expecting Vollering to do well. She kind of put that pressure on her own shoulders by being so strong in the Tour. And a few days before the race, I actually spoke to Demi and I tried to understand how she's dealing with the pressure and also how life has changed for her after winning the Tour de France, if it has at all. And she gave some really interesting insights into what 
now being a yellow jersey holder, what that means for her and what it means for the rest of her career. So we can listen to that now. How have you spent the last few weeks processing the Tour de France fam and what happened? Have you had a bit of time off? Have you just been completely focused on the world? How have you spent the last few weeks after what happened in France? Ah, I uh, went with my family um, yeah, a bit further into French, to the coast. And there uh, we spent really nice days uh, on the ocean, actually. Uh, so it was some really nice off days. It was just really nice to be with the family, enjoy a bit time off the bike and yeah, just also to celebrate it with them. So that was really nice to do. And then uh, on Wednesday we did already big part uh, back home and then the next day all the rest home uh, to Switzerland for me and my parents back to Holland. So uh, yeah, then I had a bit uh, time at home where I uh, started to ride my bike a bit more again. And uh, in the weekend, I did some some more hard efforts. Yeah, and then on Monday, I was already here. <laughs> Do you feel like your life has changed at all after winning Yellow? Has anything different? Does anything feel different? No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, I got a lot of times the question, yeah, how does it feel now? And <laughs> it's a difficult question because in the end, yeah, not much does change. And yet I'm still Damie and I will be Damie. And yeah, I will not change or live different by now or yeah, my motivation is not less or more or different. I think it's not changing that much. It's only just that you feel really also kind of relieved that it happened and yeah, just really proud of everything, how it went. Uh, the whole week actually already with the team was really nice. So uh, yeah, I'm just really proud that uh, that all uh, yeah, came true like this. Have you had like enough time, do you think, to process it? Because I know sometimes, like I remember speaking to Lotta Kopecky before and she said sometimes you just feel like you're onto the next thing so quickly, you don't even have enough time to think, what did I just do? Is it been like a bit like that for you? Yeah, a little bit, but it was actually nice that I was with the family a few days uh, where we had really like nothing to do. And also like the internet connection was really bad on the camping with the camper. So <laughs> that was actually the perfect place to to let it all land and sink in. Also discuss it with them, how they uh, relieved it. So that was really nice that I could could share everything with them and they with me. Um, yeah, that was nice. Then, then it's then it, I could give it place. I had some days uh, that I uh, really, yeah, could could let it all go a bit. And then actually when we went further to home, um, I was coming more and more already to worlds, of course, uh, also in my mind. So yeah, there, um, actually uh, on Friday when I started the training again, then I think I closed it a little bit and then I was already really focused for the worlds again. Mm. And... Can you talk a little bit about the Tour de France? Like, do you have a highlight or like a favorite moment from that race? Yeah, I don't think if I have like one especially favorite moment, but there are so many nice moments uh, with the team. Also, like, of course, a bit down moments, but then with the team, we came also closer again. And yeah, we we were really willing to, to fight back, of course. Um, so yeah, and of course, the moment that uh, I rode away on the Tourmalet, that was a really nice moment. So that for sure comes directly into my mind. But also uh, the next day in yellow, the time trial was also pretty special. Yeah, I think the Tourmalet stage for a lot of people was like a really iconic moment in the race with all the fans and everything. And also a big moment maybe in women's cycling where after the rivalry you've had with Annemiek van Vleuten for 
a quite a well for two seasons maybe now you finally came out on top on a mountain stage how did it feel to finally beat her and you know assert yourself as the top climber in the peloton basically yeah i actually i wasn't really uh, of course already doing pretty good uh, early in the season in, in Vuelta, for example that that mountain stage so i had also a lot of confidence out of that kind of races but the tour was the only thing what counted for me um that uh, seeing that way but yeah that was just really nice that I could show it in the Tour de France like uh, where I was capable of um, and yeah it was such an iconic day uh, on the tourmalet in the mist in the foggy uh, clouds so yeah it was really really special and it was just really a nice day. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously it came after a week which was a bit stressful at times for the yeah. team. How did you kind of get over that and refocus when obviously there was so much being talked about in the press and everything like that? How did you block that out and focus on your race? I really, I, I was not checking my phone, so I didn't uh, follow the, the, the media, what they were saying or everything. I tried to park that all a bit on the side and just do do our own things. Yeah, and just always uh, try to, to be a bit humble and just normal. And uh, yeah, the only thing where we come, came for that was racing, of course. So that was also what I was trying to, to focus on, just really focus on the races and uh, yeah. And can you describe like what's the atmosphere like on the SD Works team bus before a big race? Do you have a DJ? Do you have music playing? How do you get yourselves going before the stage starts? Yeah, normally we have the music on and we have a playlist from the team where every put his uh, favorite numbers in. So we always put this one on and like every like so many different uh, music. So it's always nice and uh, yeah. And sometimes you feel also that that we are all a bit more not stressed, but more feeling a bit nervous or something. So then maybe it's a little bit more quiet. But yeah, we are always a bit joking around with each other in the bus. And uh, yeah, just everybody is doing a bit their own thing to make themselves ready. And then we go out and then, uh, yeah, in the race, uh, I always really try to focus on my teammates. That's, that also really helps me to focus on racing, to really try to find my teammates in the peloton and move up to the front with them and yeah then I'm always really proud to stay. if I see like my whole team in front of me uh, such strong riders then I always feel really proud uh, to watch them from the back mm. uh, seeing them riding in the front for me so uh, yeah that's always really nice. And you know, I have to ask you, what's your song on the playlist? What do you add to the playlist? I actually didn't add anything, but <laughs> I'm just really, really easy always with the music. For me, everything is fine. <laughs> so I just uh, go with the flow, like we say in the team. And there's already so much in, so like my favorite numbers are also already in. So I didn't have to add anything. <laughs> and obviously you just mentioned there about the team and like everyone was saying in the race how dominant SD Works was. And you talked about it there, you're always in good formation, always really organized what do you think it is about the team that makes them so good I mean can you like put your finger on why it's so successful ah, that's always hard to tell but I think I think it also has something to do that in our team everybody's allowed to win and that also makes that everybody's always really motivated because maybe that day can be for you also and uh, I think also in the meetings it's really clear what we will do that day so we go into a race with a plan but we always have like a kind of plan b or a c and we can also in the race really change quick from from plans between the riders to discuss it pretty pretty fast or sometimes 
only body language uh, from each other, we know already, okay, Marlon thinks this or Lotte says this. So that's really nice. We really know each other really well. And we also like, we really love to see uh, each other winning. So this is also very important because if it's me or if it's Lotte or Lorena, we are always even happy. So I think this is something really special in our team that we really, yeah, how do you say it? Really like to see each other winning also because you know in our team if you do something for another you know it will come back one day um, and that's just really important I think. Yeah everyone gets their chances I suppose. Yeah. I guess important person in the team to kind of create that environment is Anna van der Breggen who's one of the sports directors and she's raced for so many years against uh, riders like Annemiek van Vlusen. How crucial was she for you in the tour as kind of guiding you on advising you on what to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, before the race, we always discuss the, the plan. Um, and then she steps in the car and we step on the bike, of course. And then uh, during the race, she is uh, giving information. And in the beginning of the tour, she was, of course, uh, together with Danny. Mm -hmm. But then the last uh, two days, not anymore. And uh, yeah, then actually she was alone in the car. But actually, I did not even realize it so much because she did just so a good job. And also she was not like panicking that she needed to do it alone or something. Mm. So that was also really nice to see that she was really comfortable by doing this alone, that she could do it. And um, I think also, yeah, she learned so much already from Danny um, as a DS. So mm. yeah, this is really cool to see that, how, that she picked it up so fast also to be a DS. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to have her in the car um, guiding you up the mountain, for example. Um, yeah. It's just, uh, for me, it's really nice also because she is my trainer. So I know that if she says, uh, I can do that, then I know I can do that because she, she knows also my values and what I can do, yeah. where I'm capable of. So yeah, that is uh, just, yeah, really also for me, nice. Did it kind of help that she'd raced Van Vluten before? I mean, obviously you're not thinking about Van Vluten, you're thinking about your own race, but in some ways it must make a difference that she knows her as a rider quite well and she knows kind of maybe what she's going to do or how she's likely to race a particular stage. Did that play a factor? I think not so much now because also, yeah, of course, like we knew already that she was going to try something on Cold Aspen, mm -hmm. um, but I think everybody knows this and yeah, it's of course, Anna knows her pretty well because she was always racing uh, against her. But yeah, on the other hand, I think all the, also the other teams knows in now nowadays a bit uh, what, she, uh, what she's capable of and what she wants to do. So I think uh, this doesn't change maybe that much. But of course, I think it's it's nice that Anna knows how to do it. Also, with, with like when I attacked, also she was saying, okay, now keep it up this speed and then make sure first you have a big, big gap and then you can go a bit more steady because she also knows uh, that Anami can come always back, you know, like she's a fighter. So she will come back if you only have one meter for a while, then she will come back. So you need to make the gap as big as possible, as soon as possible. That's always uh, nice uh, that Anna knows that also. Because on that stage on the Tourmalade, there was a lot of talking between you and Anami Van Vluten at one point when Cassie and Uadoma had gone ahead. What were you saying to each other then? And like, what was going on in that moment? Because it, it, everyone on TV was like, oh, what are they saying? What's, you know, what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah, it was about Kasia. She was uh, off the front, of course. And then, 
yeah, on a meek, meet the gap happening actually in the downhill. And then I thought, yeah, now I'm not going to close it because I have my teammates behind me. So yeah, it's a bit strange if I start riding full gas now with Annemiek in my wheel. So then Annemiek said to me, uh, come turn. And then I said, yeah, I can do a few turns, but I will not pull full gas because I have my teammates behind me. So yeah, it was a bit <laughs> this, uh, this kind of talking. And then uh, my teammates came back, so that was actually really nice for me because then I could really play the game and also uh, bring lots as far as possible. Uh, um, that, that was just really nice also because then it was up to the other teams actually to try something on the tourmalin of the first part. And then we only had to react and uh, yeah, take Lotta as far as possible so that she was still as close as possible in the GC, of course. And yeah, that was just really nice also because uh, yeah, it gives you so much motivation if you look behind and then you see Lotta with, with that face like <laughs> behind you. It, it was, uh, yeah, that reminded me also like, okay, yeah, we, we are in the fight mode. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I don't think anyone expected Lotta to be able to stay uh, with the front group for that long on the Tourmalet. Were you surprised to see her there or were you like, you know her, you're her teammate. Were you maybe aware that she had that in her to do that? Yeah. No, I, I, I knew that she can do this. In training camp, I saw already how, how she was climbing uh, uh, in the beginning of the year on the longer climbs. And then, uh, yeah, now with the Tourmalet, I said already to Lotta... I think you can do this. Uh, it's 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 a hard climb. It looks really steep, but in the end, it it rides pretty good. I think she was not uh, agreeing with me in the end <laughs> about that, but <laughs> I knew that Lutu could come really far. Was it a big help for you to have her there? Do you think it really gave you an advantage on that stage? Yeah, because I think the other riders also were getting nervous yeah. uh, by the company of the yellow jersey there. So I think this helped for making the others nervous and making me really calm. <laughs> And just finally, like talking about, you know, SD Works being such a strong team, does that come with additional pressure? Do you ever find that hard to deal with? You know, everyone's looking at you guys, everyone's thinking you either can win, you only have one choice is to win, otherwise yeah. you've done badly. No one accepts second place for SD Works. Is that hard? Is that ever difficult? I don't know, because we also, we really like to win in the team, uh, like the riders. Um, so I don't know if I find this really hard, but sometimes... Like tactical, it's it's sometimes difficult because sometimes teams are almost racing to not let you win or like not let or racing to let you lose. So that's sometimes difficult. But on the other hand, uh, I also understand that uh, that they do this, and uh, in the end, uh, yeah, nothing is given in the in the in the peloton, of course, in the races. So I think uh, that's normal and. Uh, in the end, I think also we we do pretty well, even if everybody is looking at us. Uh, we always know how to pick up the situation and uh, deal with it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and then still try to make the best out of it. And I just have to ask you about that final time trial in Poe and all of the crowds there and the amount of press and like fans who came to watch. What do you think that that meant for women's cycling? Did you feel like it was a you know a really big moment for the sport and had you know shown how much it's grown over the years? Yeah, I mean it, it was really nice to see that there were so many people and also if you heard the numbers how how good it was watched, that's just really special and also uh, yeah, I think it's really important, it's just very nice for women's cycling. Uh, this is actually what we needed that we were. That that we are seen, of course, and uh, and this is what's happening now. So that's uh, really special, and uh, I hope we inspire a lot of young girls to step on the bike, of course, uh, and not only young girls, actually everyone, because yeah, riding the bike is just so nice and so important, also for your health. Um, 
to feel good, the sport in general, not only the bike, but everything. Just to go outside is so important, uh, especially kids in my eyes. I'm interrupting this podcast to remind all listeners to subscribe to Rula, the world's finest magazine of cycling and cycling culture, now also available on our brand new app. Our latest edition, out now, is Rula 121, with the theme, Close the Gap. The mission statement of Rula 121 is to get more women on bikes and more women in sport. Though some significant moves have been made towards equality in our sport and towards giving young people male and female role models to support, we haven't reached parity by a long way. Rulo 121 aims to close that gap. To this end, we convened a guest editorial panel of inspiring, talented, powerful women to come up with ideas for features and to highlight not only the challenges we face, but to emphasise solutions and positive steps. We were lucky to work with former world champion Lizzie Dignan, our very own columnist, TV presenter Orla Chenery, Stephanie Hilborn, who is the CEO of Women in Sport, activist and journalist Jules Walker, TikTok sensation Sydney Cassidy, and the founder of Isla Bikes, Isla Roundtree. Rulo 121 includes features on subjects as diverse as parenthood in professional cycling, how to make sport a more accessible space, an interview with Eritrean cyclist Eru Tesrom Gebru, who sought political asylum in order to pursue her dream of being a professional cyclist, training and racing around the menstrual cycle, why bike design needs to be more inclusive, a profile of cyclist Eileen Sheridan, who broke records and barriers in the 1940s and 1950s, and much, much more. Rula is the world's finest magazine of cycling and cycling culture, and Rula 121 is available now. To support our journalism and receive a magazine every six weeks, please subscribe. Go to rula.cc, hit the subscribe button and enter the code PODCAST15 to get 15% off our regular subscription price. And now... Back to the show. So that was Demi Vollering, a rider who is obviously on trade team with the eventual race winner at the World Championships, Lotte Kopecky. And I think ahead of the race, we were all wondering if that would come into play. You know, would SD Works start to ride as a team? Because they'd said the most important thing for them was having the world champion in SD Works. So what does that mean when you have three SD Works riders on different nations? Did you think we saw that coming into play at all? It's hard to say. There was nothing really obvious I don't think. If Royser had been working for SD Works, she wouldn't have sat on the back of that group the whole time Shabe was up the road. So maybe they were a bit nicer to each other in the group than they would have been to other riders like Lizzie Dignan was there for GB on her own and, and you know she rides for Trek Segafredo, so she's outside outside of that. I think really I didn't see anything immediately obvious. I'm sure there were some dynamics in the race when they would have kind of just thought, let's leave someone else to make that chase. But even then, one other thing about Demi following is I don't think she looked as strong during the race. You know, she was cramping up and I didn't think that she was necessarily the favourite in that group of six or seven, you know, even, even before... It all split up and yeah, that was proven that even though in the end she was able to make a 
brilliant chase and secure the silver medal. Yeah, I, I don't. Did you see any SD Works collusion there that was obvious? No, I don't think so. I think because Lotte Kapaki was getting frustrated. I mean, she was sh- at times she was really shouting at the group to work with her, and Vollering wasn't doing it. So no, I, I don't think there was. I think we've seen with that team before. I mean, even when they are in the same jerseys, like Estrada Bianchi, they'll sprint. They'll sprint against each other. So no, I didn't think that they were really colluding at all, actually. But we've, I mean, we've spoken a lot about SD Works, but we shouldn't forget that actually the person who instigated the winning move for Kapeki was Cecily Utrip Ludwig of, of Denmark, and she seemed to have a real resurgence in this race after a season which I think she probably will have been a little bit disappointed with I think it was great to see her up there attacking again yeah and when she went I got the sense that the others a were pretty cooked and b were kind of looking at each other because she's that level of rider which is just below the top guys where you do get a bit of wriggle room you know when following and Kopecki move everyone's on them and everyone knows what's what with Cecilia Ludwig does you know she doesn't pose the same level of threat she's obviously very dangerous very good rider and she's had some fantastic wins but I felt that they hesitated in chasing you know because they were tired but also because maybe they felt that she would be a little easier to bring back but I don't I don't think she was I I thought she looked pretty sharp when she went away and they didn't chase I felt that for the first race in the whole of the World Championships in Glasgow, there could be a winner who's not surprising but wasn't necessarily the strongest out-and-out rider in the race. And I was, I was, I was all for it. I, th- I thought that would have been a really interesting scenario. In the end, obviously those climbs are pretty steep and brutal and very hard to defend a lead on if you're not feeling super strong. But she, she gave it everything. She chose her moment really cleverly. And like I say, when, when she immediately went on chase, that, that could have been that. We also saw uh, Lizzie Dignan try to do that a couple of times and Christina Schweinberger, who was also in that group for Austria. There was there was chances there, wasn't there? Lizzie especially looked on great form and a couple of times I thought she's such a good racer. She knows exactly the right moments to go and she did open up a gap a couple of times. But even though I think she finished sixth in the end, so she didn't quite manage to get a win or a medal. It was still great to see her up there fighting for the win again so soon after coming back from having her second child. And I think it bodes very well for the future uh, of British cycling in, in races like the Olympics as well next year. Lizzie's back and I thought she looked great. Yeah, no, there's a few things about Lizzie Dykeman, actually. The first is that she's not that deep into her comeback, really. I mean, remember she had a second child less than a year ago, right? So she just started racing this. She started her season late this year and she's probably not as strong as she will be next season. So that bodes extremely well. Second thing is that I think when she won the world title, which is quite long, yeah, eight years ago now, 2015, and that next year, when she was in the Roma bands, she was the strongest female rider in the world. She was, she you know, she won in the Ardennes. She won the Tour of Flanders in um, twenty sixteen. Won that world, you know, by I think being the strongest rider. These days, she's not the strongest rider, but I think she's definitely one of the cleverest. She's still pretty strong, and she's learned how to look at racing. You know, when she won Paris Roubaix, it was by making a clever move at a clever time and winning by probably being the cleverest rider in the race. And I felt she was playing that group so well in the, you know, not just that group in the end, I think she played the whole race really, really well. She had a strong team around her, riding well for her in the, 
you know, first three quarters of the race. And then when that group did go, she was in that group. There's no doubt about it. She deserved to be there. She knew that move was the one to be in. And that was the one that was going to contest the race. So strategically, she was absolutely there. And then I think you know, she was trying to play it as well as she could. I imagine she was pretty wasted by the time the final attacks were going and you could see she was just losing a bit of ground on the climbs and it was a shame it did in the end turn into a bit of a race of brute force because that's where she was suffering compared to the others but she was up there in that move with was it the trip Ludwig and Schweinberg wasn't it the the and they had a good gap there away no one was really chasing and I was thinking that's a clever place to put herself because again they could have contested the medals those three I think what I loved about how Lizzie raced is that she was prepared to risk it all to try and win. And I think that's what makes her special as a rider is because she's done so much in her career now. She never really succumbs to that attitude that sometimes we see in the women's peloton where you think, oh, Esty works the strongest or the Dutch team are the strongest. So what can we do about it? Lizzie's been around long enough and she's won enough races to know that you can't have that attitude. And I think she really showed that at the Worlds. She wasn't afraid to try things to try and win. But yeah, in the end... It didn't really matter, did it? I mean, Kopecky was just the strongest rider. That's how she won. Could, could anyone have done anything differently, really, in hindsight? I don't think they could. I mean, Kopecky could have done things differently by not winning a couple, winning a couple of gold medals midweek on the track as well. I think that was the biggest kind of challenge to her supremacy in the end. She didn't look quite as sharp as she did in the Tour de France Femme, for example. But that said, I don't think there's any argument when she attacked, she was clearly moving away from the others. She went past Cecilia at Trip Ludwig fairly handily. Trip Ludwig was unable to get into her wheel. And then it's a matter of strongest rider wins, no one's going to chase. They're all by that point, it's it's an equal competition. It's like the strongest riders away and nobody's going to be able to chase her. And the, the, the thing is, with with those kind of levels of effort and with that kind of scenario, you don't need to be several percent stronger than the other riders you just need the ability to make that one last attack that no one else can make and that's what makes the difference you know up to that point they were matching each other they were following each other able to match each other's attacks she had one more bullet in the chamber she was able to fire it and no one else did thoroughly deserving world champion and we knew by that point in the week or in the fortnight didn't we that that circuit really stripped riders down to the very essence of who they were and what their abilities were and once she was away I think she knew the others knew the crowds knew we knew watching on screens that there was a worthy world champion what was good about the race though was to see her do it so late on I think what I was more worried that we might have her attacking with like 50k out and then being able to stay away but she had to really really work for it and I think her wins almost made more impressive as well by the amount of pressure she was under she had told everyone she wanted to win she told everyone she'd been doing junior kermesses to try and mimic what you know that sort of effort would be like on the Glasgow course it's a lot of pressure to shoulder and I think maybe it's a testament to her character that she wasn't overwhelmed by it and she was able to perform despite all of that yeah, no, a lot could have gone wrong because you know, she didn't have the strongest. She had The Belgian team wasn't weak by any by any means. I'm, this is not a criticism, but in comparison to quite a few of the other nations, didn't have the strength in depth that the others did. You know, they had quite a clever selection. Like Santa Cant was there as a cyclocross racer. Hickey was there as long as, as long as she could be. But she was pretty much on her own for quite a long time. And that means the margins are fine. And you could argue that she was 
lucky, lucky not to have bad luck. And anything that could have gone wrong would have, might have been the difference. But in the end, she managed it very well, I think. She had a lot of pressure on her. And it's easy when you're under that much pressure and with an opportunity like that that she hasn't had in the past, easy to make mistakes or get hot-headed. You know, she might have covered too many attacks. And when the attacks were going, she did leave others to chase a bit. And that's, you know, that's playing poker. You can, you can end up in trouble that way. Um, I think in the end, she had faith, enough avoidance of bad luck and the strength to go through with it and 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 that was enough in the end but let's say it was it wasn't by a large amount was it wasn't like van der Poel winning by best part of a couple of minutes it was tight if she'd slid a tie or something in those last few corners or if anything had gone wrong mechanically thank god it didn't but if she had she would not have won the race mm, i mean she also had self-belief didn't she she believed she could do it and she did and I I actually spoke to her a few days before Um, she was at the launch of the new specialised Tarmac SL8 bike which both her and following used in the race actually and I I wanted to talk to her a little bit about well first of all what her plan was for the world championships and she came across with such confidence that I wasn't really surprised to see the sort of ride she did in the end and she also reflected on her season and what comes next for her so this is Lotta Capecchi. Hi Lotta. So I just spoke to Demi Vollering and she was telling me about how after the tour she, you know, had some chill time, she went camping, she saw her family. I get the feeling that you've not had quite the same ending to the tour. Can you talk a little bit about what the last few weeks have been like for you? Yeah, pretty busy and no holiday after Tour de France. I went straight to Glasgow because uh, my competition already started uh, the 6th of August. So yeah, I just wanted to come straight here to have one travel day less and just yeah, a bit more recovery. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, I actually uh, have already uh, liked my time here very well. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. You've had an amazing couple of races on the track, two world championship titles. Can you believe that happened? Were you expecting that, or were you quite surprised by like how well you performed? Yeah, I was hoping for it, of course. Um, for yeah just to try to get at least one world title uh, here in Glasgow but yeah the track went uh, pretty well and um, also ending uh, this championship on the track with uh, bronze in the Olympic uh, Omnium race was something which was very uh, important for me. Did you start to feel the fatigue like setting in at all by the time of the Omnium? Actually no. (laughs) I'm feeling really good and I also have the feeling that I recover super fast from everything. I think I'm a bit on this high that everything uh, just uh, comes as it comes and I just uh, yeah I can stay really relaxed by the yeah the favorite role they give me for Sunday but um, yeah. Being the favorite for the world championships that is quite a lot of pressure I'd say. Are you struggling with that or do you deal with it quite well? I used to, yeah, but now I'm actually dealing with it quite well. Uh, I know we're, yeah, everybody will look at me at sun- on Sunday, but yeah, I just try to stay calm and not get too nervous in certain circumstances. And I mean, we've been with Team Esdebrooks already in such uh, yeah, a lot of situations this season, and I think I really learned a lot of it. And just yeah, that uh, I yeah, I need to stay calm to to over yeah to keep the overview on the race. So if everyone's watching you for when you're going to attack, how do you pick your moment? Or do you just have to wait till everyone's too tired to follow, basically? When everybody's dumb. <laughs> no, I don't know. For me, I mean, 
I do not need to get rid of them. I'm also fast at the finish, so whatever scenario there will be on Sunday, almost every scenario is good for me. So that already also gives me a lot of confidence. And yeah, I will just race with yeah on instinct and see how it goes. If I feel a moment, I will try to get it. But if I don't feel it, I can also wait for the sprint. And watching the men's race, did that kind of give you any tips or give you a bit of an expectation of how the race will go? Yeah, that it will be very hard. I mean, uh, I also spoke with the men and they said like it's one of the hardest races they've ridden already. We luckily do uh, <laughs> a few less laps than them on the circuit. But yeah, also for us, it will be a very exhausting race. And obviously the Tour de France, like that must give you so much confidence in your form. Like you performed amazingly well there, basically having the yellow jersey for most of the race. And I think one of the standout stages for everyone was probably the Tourmalet where no one expected you to be able to climb with the best for that long. I mean, how did you feel after that stage? Were you like as surprised as everyone else? No, I, I yeah, I was, um, as a, yeah, I surprised myself as hard as I surprised everybody, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm an okay climber, but I mean, I'm... Yeah, a lot heavier than all the climbers and going so long over the Tourmalet was for me like every kilometer that, that passed and I was still there. I was like, whoa, yeah, this is going good. <laughs> Does it change anything for you, like for the future, what kind of races you want to do? No, not at all. I mean, I, I'm really happy with the rider I am. I really love the classics. Really, my heart is, is with the classic races. So, yeah, at this moment, I just try to win as many classic races as there there are. And I'm not really aiming at the moment for uh, winning Tour de France. And obviously the team was really dominant actually throughout the whole Tour de France. Did that give extra pressure on the team's shoulders throughout the race? Because everyone was looking at you and obviously there was a lot of media attention with the, for the team that week. Well, not really extra pressure. I mean, with Team Works, we already had an amazing season and that also gives all of us a bit of rest. We're like... We really want to win every race, that's for sure. But we're also like, okay, if you win one time not, then yeah, then we don't win. And that makes us all very relaxed and yeah, makes it possible to sometimes afford to lose a race. And by thinking like this, then we win more races. <laughs> and also it's impressive that I think everyone gets their chance in the team. That's like a big, a big part of the team's ethos is that you work for someone one day and then they'll help you the next day. Is that, do you think, part of the success in the tour that everyone had their own opportunity? Yeah, I think it really is. Um, I mean, being on a team where everybody can win is like, yeah, you know that if you do something for somebody, it will come back. And yeah, that make. I mean, we're a really good team together and I really like uh, like to be in this team and have this, uh, this kind of uh, way of thinking. And I've seen um, a lot of people saying about you kind of sent Belgium a bit crazy with your performances in the tour. You didn't get to go home, I suppose, and see anyone yet. No, uh, I heard a bit, but I think I don't realize what, uh, how it is in Belgium. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good that I came here immediately. Do you think your life will maybe have changed a little bit after the tour? I have no idea. I will see it when I get home. <laughs> Talking about Demi, I mean, you two work, seem to work very well together at the Tour de France. What is your relationship with her like? Yeah, we get along really well, actually. Um, Demi is a very nice person. She's very human and she has a very big heart. She's a very good rider and she knows what she, what she wants and she also works really hard for it. I think I can really uh, honestly say that she's my friend. <laughs> and will it be a bit strange to go from like being in the SD Works colours to racing against each other on di different national teams on Sunday? Yeah, that, it, for sure it will, but... I think we also know, we both know that, I mean, we're both kind of favourites for Sunday. 
and we both want to win. And I think we are also, yeah, how do I say, adult enough to, on Sunday evening, whatever happened in the race, that we can just, yeah, come over it. Yeah, you can all move on from it. And another thing I've seen is like after the tour, apparently, you know, after everything, not just the tour, but all the races you've won, we've seen more and more girls in Belgium apparently signing up for race licenses and getting into racing. I mean, that must, you must feel proud that you're inspiring that generation. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to inspire them. Something that I would never, I mean, thought before when I started cycling that I would be somebody where young girls look up to. And yeah, it's, it's really nice to, to have this role for these, uh, for these young boys and girls. And what is the development structure in Belgium like at the moment for, you know, for young riders? Because we see a lot of success coming from the country, but I'm just interested to know, what do you think breeds that success? Is it that you all race from a young age? Like, what do you think the key is to so many good riders coming from that country? Yeah, I think in Belgian cycling, we have a good development program, which maybe started a bit later than like everybody was saying about Netherlands, that they have really good girls on the bikes and uh, how come that the difference is so big. But I think we're really um, working on it and it's not something we will see in two years, but it's yeah, a long time progress. For you personally, like, I mean, you're obviously, I know, I think I've spoken to you before and you said that you kind of don't feel like you're massively a spokesperson for women's cycling or maybe you don't really feel like you have necessarily all the answers, but from the Tour de France, from all the fans and stuff who were there, did you feel like it was a sign of like the growth of the sport, the amount of people that came to watch? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tour de France, every time start, finish uh, along the road, there were super many people, also a lot of children. So yeah, I mean, you can really feel that women's cycling is just, is growing, it's living, and uh, that people also like to watch it. And do you feel like there's a bit of a shift at the Tour de France compared to other races, maybe? Does it, as a rider, does it feel very different to like some of the other stage races you do? Yeah, you can feel that really they use the name Tour de France for this race, and you can feel that there is more media attention, more pressure also for sponsors, for the teams. It's a really important race because it's the Tour de France. So yeah, you can really feel that with that race. And obviously, even though overall, I'd say it was an incredibly successful week, there was kind of some ups and downs throughout the week with what happened with Danny and everything like that. But I feel like the team was able to really kind of come together and overcome that. I mean, what was the method for getting over that sort of disappointment, I suppose? A joke with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. I mean, we were all really disappointed that Danny was, uh, yeah, was out of, uh, of the tour, that he was not in the car anymore. But yeah, we also really tried to joke with it a lot and it really helped to yeah just stay easy with it and we couldn't change anything about the situation so this weekend um you have different staff you know working for belgian cycling who will be in the car for you and like who will be telling you tips and stuff who's kind of your guidance this race well uh, from the car nobody because we don't ride with earpieces so i uh, i think the coach will not be in the car he will be on the side of the road somewhere try to communicate i think on this course it's yeah, I hope we get a lot of information from the side of the road uh, when it's necessary. But yeah, it's a completely different racing. You really have to, yeah, more trust yourself in the actions you do than, uh, than get it from the radio out of the car. I think in the men's race, we definitely saw that that had a bit of an impact, like not having radios. Is it something you prefer or what do you prefer? Yeah, for me, it's okay. I don't, I don't mind not having the info from the car. I can read the race very well. And for me, yeah, it's maybe an, uh, an advantage. What would you be happy with coming out of the World Championships? Is it rainbows or nothing? Or what are you kind of aiming for? Yeah, of course, I'm aiming for the rainbows. But um, I mean, my season has been super good so far. The last two weeks with Tour de France, with this World Championships already. I mean, coming home with two uh, rainbows already. 
if I don't win on Sunday, it will not ruin my season. But it was the goal of the season. And yeah, of course, after the race, if I didn't win, for sure, I will not be, be happy at that moment. But then I think I need to reflect afterwards and see what I've done already this season. And you've won so much now. I mean, what is it that keeps you motivated to keep going? I mean, you know, you could you could retire now with an amazing career, but you still seem so hungry to win. Yeah, it's true. It's also something that I've been thinking about. And the thing is, I don't know what's driving me, but I'm also thinking like, do I want to know what's driving me? Because maybe when I start to know it, it will not work anymore. <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't want to think about it too much. And will you go into the race on Sunday with like a set plan of when you want to make your move or will it be kind of in the race deciding based on other people, what other people do? Yeah, uh, like I said, I want to race on instinct and just see how the race is developing, how, how I'm feeling, how the uh, opponents are reacting on, on certain um, actions. So it will just uh, race by heart. And do you expect it to be a real like race of attrition like we saw in the men? Yeah, I think we can expect that. And you're from Belgium, so the rain isn't a problem for you or? It's an, uh, yeah, an extra big um, factor in this race. I mean, it's already a very um, exhausting race. And yeah, I think the rain will all, only make it uh, even harder. And just finally, what would it mean to you if you finally get to go back to Belgium and, you know, you've had the amazing Tour de France and you also bring the rainbow jerseys, another one home with you? I mean, how much would it mean to you? At the moment, I have no idea. We'll find out on Sunday. <laughs> so Kapeki has now won the World Championships. She wore the yellow jersey for seven days of the Tour de France fam. She stayed with the best climbers on the Tourmalet. She also does track. She also dabbles in cyclocross. She does a lot. I mean, what does Kapeki do next? I mean, do you think we'll see her just keep on trying to do everything? Do you think we could see her even trying to specialise now to try and have a go at yellow at the Tour? What's the next steps for her in her career? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, she's going to have a year in the rainbow stripes next year. And I think next year is maybe not the year to start experimenting with different kinds of events. I think she would love to win the Tour of Flanders again, this time in the Rainbow Stripes, um, to win a few more classics. That's that's what she's good at. She knows she can do it. And I think she's in a very, very good position to do so. Although obviously she's in a team which is so strong and has so many different riders that that could yet end up being interesting. But I presume she'll focus on the races that she's good at. Beyond that, so... Uh, You'd say there's not much would need to change for her to contend in the Ardennes Classics, I think. She's got the skill set to to thrive in those races. Longer term, the Tour de France is an interesting one because you always think that the Tour de France, whether it's the men's or women's events, suits a certain type of rider and they've got to be good at climbing in the mountains. But yeah, that's because they stick a load of high mountains in the Tour. Tour fam didn't have that many in and they there's no law that says they have to have massive high mountains in the Tour de France if the Tour de France organization designed a Tour de France fam that's more of a puncher's route that had the middle mountains in which which always make for arguably better racing than the high mountains then absolutely she could envisage being a Tour de France winner and I think the Tour de France organization has a blank you know, a blank slate with the women's Tour de France it doesn't have to be a set piece mountain stage it could be a brilliant week's racing in challenging middle mountain terrain that would be an awesome race and would broaden out the list of winners to more than just Demi Vollering, for example, or you know some of the up-and-coming climbers. Could Kopecky, on the other hand, change her 
skill strengths and skill set enough to compete in the high mountains just wasn't that far off but i think against riders like vollering and even the the amanda sprats and the kind of specialist climbers a bit more challenging but why not she's she's got a bit of time to do it and she's got a strong team to support her through it so maybe in the long term she will look at broadening horizons a bit but you know she can win so many races that it wouldn't take much for her to win a lot more She's got a strong team, like you say, but does that actually make it more difficult for her? Maybe we're talking about her targeting the Ardennes Classics. That is Demi Vollering terrain. Do we see her future at SD Works? I mean, do you think that that's the right place for her? Because I think she said herself she likes the fact sometimes that there are so many opportunities of people, for people who can win their different options for the team because it takes the pressure off her a little bit. But at the same time, yeah, with the f- sort of form she's in and the sort of rider she's becoming, uh, is it going to you know be a case of her not getting all the chances that she wants maybe? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I think the women's world tour teams, most of them, if not all of them, are at a level where they where she would be a real asset to them. And remember, when Van Vloyten joined Movistar, it wasn't the strongest team by any means. But by going there, she became it the, the sole team leader. And also, she kind of pulled Movistar up with her. Kopecky like, could fit it. You, know, you, you could really, from a pure fantasy cycling team picking point of view, you could put her in some of the other really strong teams and it would be a really good move. But also some of the up and coming teams and teams with ambitions, but without that out and out leader, it should also bring up the level and still be able to win a lot of races. So yeah, that's an interesting question. That that SD Works does have at the moment the most successful and strongest team in the sport, but you do have to compromise. You do sometimes, as a really strong rider in a position to win a race, have to sit back and let it go. We'll see. It's exciting times, I think, for women's cycling, for the amount of different riders who are now targeting victories, the amount of strength there is at the very top. It's interesting to watch. And just finally, Ed, I want to ask you about your sort of overall reflections on the Glasgow Super Worlds. Did it work, do we think? Uh- yeah, that's a good question. I, I hear there are two camps of thought or two schools of thought on this. Some think it did, some think it didn't. I'm congenitally going to sit on the fence on this because I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought that the, the road race course, having seen it in the flesh, was a stroke of genius and really unique, really challenging. Saw some brilliant races. That The races were entertaining from start to finish. I, I loved that. I love everything around a bike race as well. So I love the architecture, the kind of cultural history, the fact that they had shut Glasgow for cycling for 10 whole days, effectively. I thought that was brilliant. I'm sure some of the locals may may disagree with me, but I felt that it was a real statement. Although, you know, I'm I'm approaching cycling fan burnout with the amount of cycling we've had. You know, we've had the, the Tour de France, the Tour de France fam straight into the World Championships and... There's a lot of cycling. We've got the Vuelta starting really soon. That's challenging on a personal level. But I, you know, I mainly focus my attention on on road racing. I'm I'm a, I'm a roadie journalist, and I enjoy track racing. I enjoy mountain bike. I, I enjoy watching them. Uh, I don't invest too much in them professionally because you know it, it's a question of bandwidth. I I focus on what I'm really kind of feel I've got an interest in, and that's not I've got enough going on with road cycling so I watch track racing and mountain biking and all the rest as, as a more of a kind of disinterested eye it's more kind of just more of a fan really I can, I can just enjoy watching sport and I quite enjoyed filling the gaps between the road races with that normally the world takes me a while to warm up you know, it 
starts on the Tuesday and by the Sunday I'm like, oh, really into this now. And then it's over in a few days. It was quite good, I thought, from my perspective to have the track racing going on all the way through. There was a lot to watch. Mountain biking was brilliant. Had a bit of a break from road events. You know, there was the men's road race weekend, the first weekend, then a bit of a break, but still had plenty to look forward to. I understand there are also challenges, smaller federations. It's really expensive to have people on the ground for a week or 10 days. You know, the big federations can afford it, it's fine, but the smaller federations can't. And there is that question of focus as well. After a while, maybe people who have half an interest in cycling kind of watch it when it's on. Maybe by seven days in, they're thinking, right, I've had enough cycling now. So it's more complex than saying, yes, it worked or no it no it didn't I think how about you yeah I agree I think I can understand from like a logistical perspective the difficulties of it but at the same time like you I mean I watch BMX racing I watch mountain biking I watch the track Uh, normally I probably wouldn't even I don't even know if I would tune into all all of those disciplines like you say I'm also mostly focused on road and that takes up a lot of a lot of headspace as it is so I really like the fact that we were kind of encouraged to watch other disciplines and it was all sort of, it almost felt like the Olympics is on where you can put the TV on and you always know there's something good to watch. I really like that. I think also it, it gave uh, attention to some of the smaller disciplines as well that maybe we wouldn't normally see so much of. And the road race course itself, I mean, I get why the riders didn't like it. I would not have wanted to ride around there in the rain either, but it was amazing to watch and it produced worthy winners. I mean, it was a great atmosphere, great racing. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I, yeah, I really am. I agree. I agree. I, th- I think overall I was expecting it to be not anywhere near as good as it actually ended up being for me. I, th- I, th- I thought it was brilliant. Obviously, complications and nuances to that, but overall I would say that was a good world. Agree. Cool. Well, thank you, Ed, for all your insights. Um, that's it for this week's edition of the Ruler Conversations podcast. Um, you can subscribe to Ruler now to receive our current women's issue, which actually includes an exclusive Q&A with the new world champion, Lotta Kopecky, where she reveals her motivation, her favourite films, much more. You can also visit ruler.cc or head to the Ruler app to read all of our coverage from the last week at the Worlds and everything we're going to be producing from the Vuelta. You have been listening to Rouleau Conversations. Rouleau Conversations is made by the editorial staff of Rouleau magazine. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Rouleau and on Instagram at Rouleau magazine or visit our website at Rouleau.cc. This episode was produced by Amber Miller of Content is Queen. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.